Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eves. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. This is podcast number 105, and we have our buddy Adam Lewis from Sound Barrier Hunting back on with us today. We're going to cover all three of Adam's successful hunts this year so far, and we're going to learn from him. We go into great depth on his strategy for both early and, you know, November rut hunting. So there's some great information here to hear about from Adam, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this, so stay tuned for that. We have this episode being brought to you by Sound Barrier Hunting. Surprise, surprise. If you guys have not signed up for Adam's, um, blog posts or his his reminder via email for his newest blogs. That's what I would recommend. I would go to the website, sign up for the free seven steps to complete stealth guide by adding your name and email address at soundbarrierhunting.com. And then what you'll do is you'll get emails every week with Adam's new blogs, new videos. The latest video that I just got the email from is about late season hunting since we're moving into December here soon. Uh, there's a nice four-minute video put up by Adam over at Sound Barrier called Post-Rut Success Essentials. So, guys, just another great spot to get more information on, you know, these deer that we're hunting and chasing over there at soundbarrierhunting.com. Remember, when you uh, go to soundbarrierhunting.com and you purchase something from Adam, if you use the code H you get 10% off any of the Buck Bumper products with free shipping. So that is code HP 
over at soundbarrierhunting.com. I'd like to thank Killer Food Plots, Packer Max Cult Packers, Morse Nursery, HuntWise, Realtree Land Pro, Lake States, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, and the Habitat Hook for their support in this podcast. Guys, another great episode here for you. Be sure to um, follow along with us at HabitatPodcast.com. If you are not too familiar with our website, head on over there. We have a Habitat Journal where we just posted up a new article um, by my buddy El Tomeshko. He wrote it. It is called Why Hunting Small Properties Makes You Better. Another, you know, Just like Sound Barrier's blog, we have one as well where it's just more information and content to read, digest, think about when you're planning your hunt for the rest of the season here. We talk about how focusing on small hunting properties, you know, 10, 15 acres like we do on this podcast can make you a better hunter when you're out there hunting state land, hunting 40 acres, hunting 400 acres. It really hones in your skills and takes you to the next level. So check us out there at HabitatPodcast.com. Without further ado, let's get Adam Lewis on the line. All right, we're live. We have Brian Hallbly, the co-host killer from Pennsylvania. And we have our very special guest tonight, Adam Lewis from Sound Barrier Hunting. How's it going, guys? Good. Doing good, buddy. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, too. Um, But... I don't think we're doing as good or well as Adam is doing, Brian, if I had to guess. That's what it sounds like. Adam, congrats on your dream season so far. I'm just going to start calling you Slayer and uh, change your name on my phone and you're Slayer from now on and just we're just going to do that. Well, yeah, thanks. It, it has been a, yeah, like you said, a dream season pretty much and – but that'll put a lot of pressure on me in the future, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can live up to that. Well, shoot, yeah. Um, you're going to have to find a couple new states to hunt or something. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on a states right now. But, um, yeah, it's just been a blessed season and uh, filled all my tags. Uh, yeah, let's, um, let's get into... For those who um, haven't heard of you before, uh, let's hear a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do real quick, because I know um, we did have you on already. That was episode 85 for people who want to hear more about Adam and his company and the way that whitetails can hear us um, in the woods and our gear. So that was pretty important, but let's hear... uh, Let's hear about you real quick, and then we'll get into your season thus far, and we'll talk about an update from Brian and I and our seasons and kind of give the listeners um, a mid-season scoop, if you will. Sure. Um, so I'm from mid-Michigan. Right now I live in Chesning, but I grew up in uh, Lapeer area, so mid-Michigan area. And this is, I think, my 29th year hunting. Um, but I'm a teacher by trade. I'm a science teacher. Uh and I own the company Sound Barrier, which uh, really just helps hunters with the noise problem, so silencing their gear, uh, which is a big problem, and some guys realize it and some guys don't. Um, but to silence their gear 
so they can, you know, get past that third sense uh, that, you know, keeps deer alive that really uh, can cause problems for hunters is uh, noises we make. So we make some different wraps for equipment and stuff like that just to silence your gear and give you a little extra chance there. So I guess that's the brief brief summary. Um, and, yeah, I had a, a, one of my best seasons ever. I uh, It started out, I don't know, do you want me to get into all this now? Or, yeah, yeah, um, let's roll into it. Let's talk about your, your prep that we talked about before we started recording right. and kind of how your season started um, before things started going well. Okay, so I've been hunting the last 10 years probably 99% public land. Um, more out of just necessity. I don't have access to a lot of private around here. <clears throat> My parents own 40 acres. Uh, but other than that, it's pretty much public. And usually that 40 acres isn't that great. Like there isn't really many great bucks on that property. So I've just decided to hunt public <clears throat> and had some good luck uh, over the years. But it's tough, as everybody knows, hunting public in Michigan. But with COVID this spring, and a teacher, I was off a lot, and I had a lot of time. So I did a ton of scouting of public around me and just got spots ready for <coughs> for the fall. And so I had, on Excel sheet, I had a legitimate 60 spots ready, you know, the, wow. the winds to hunt them, the time of year to hunt them, you know, 60 spots I could go <laughs> and, and that I felt were good to really good spots. Wow. And so that was my plan. And so the first two weeks, well, to back up, I hunt Ohio and Michigan. So I was getting ready with stuff in Ohio that is actually, ironically, I have access to private down there. Um, getting those spots ready with salt licks and, you know, trail cameras and just getting my stands uh, prepped. But then, you know, the public spots ready up here and then so the first two weeks of michigan i was just hitting the public uh, strategically but i was hitting it hard you know and i had a ton of encounters i probably at least could have shot 12 different bucks uh 12 to 15 but they're all year and a half olds right i was just seeing a lot of deer but not anything even close to uh what i shoot and for me in michigan a three and a half year old is is a, a good a good deer like that's that's tough to shoot you know that's upper 15 10 15 percent i think of of yep. bucks i would see so that's my standard and i just was not seeing even two and a half year olds <clears throat> and i don't know about you guys hunting public but i've talked to other guys that do and it's usually you know a lot of guys and you 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 have run-ins you have hunts mess up but this year is been extremely bad like instead of a car in 90 percent of the lots there's three cars in 100 percent of the lots right and they're just guys everywhere <clears throat> so that was just extra tough and i literally two weeks in kind of got burned out on it so I, I was like well you know october 15th it was a cold day that's when you know we've had some real cold weather uh this fall early fall at least, and, <laughs> Until and now. not now, Yeah, but October, I mean, there was a, some, a couple of really good cold fronts, and sure. 
the 15th was one, and I was just thinking, I was like, you know what, I haven't hunted at my parents in five years. Um, I was like, I just want to go over there and hunt where I know I'm not going to run into somebody or, you know, something like that. And so I, I call them, I say, hey, you know, is it okay to come over? And, of course, you know, yeah, come on over. And my dad had just been over there and checking a trail camera. And he said, well, there's actually a real good buck that just showed up. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll come over. <laughs> and I just had a, a feeling, you know, like it was just a beautiful, perfect, cold day. The winds were up, but I know they'd settle, you know. And I just had a feeling it would be a good night. And so I get in there to that stand, and like I said, that that area is not known for a lot of deer or big deer. Um, like you might see three or four deer, and that's a pretty decent night, right? You're not going to see two dozen deer or anything. Um, but I get into the stand, and, like, I have done nothing over there. Like, this is this is one of those gift, you know, type hunts <coughs> where God just blesses you, and, you know, it, it kind of felt like a, I went to an outfitter, almost. Like, my dad's been doing stuff over there, and I haven't done a darn thing. So I go in there, and I crawl into his stand, right, um, which is this monstrous, huge uh, hang-on that actually I bought him a few years ago because uh, he's getting older, and he just likes to feel more secure. So we're on this big stand. It's got this huge seat on it, and it's got these huge handlebars on it, like massive, and it folds up, and they're almost like handles on a pommel horse or something, like you're going to do – a dismount off it or something. Just these huge handles. And it's a little weird being in a stand you've never been in, but I get in there, and long story short, <clears throat> there was like 10 does around me all night just surrounding me, which was cool. Uh, I was just enjoying that, right? But then this, see this buck, uh, was, I looked behind me part way through the night, and I see this tree shaking back and forth about seven yards behind me. And then I look down and I see this large body toward the bottom. Well, that's that's a buck, obviously. <laughs> and I proceed to watch him rake this tree for like ten minutes. He's just ripping it up. And I couldn't look real well because the does were right in front of me and all around me. So I couldn't put the binoculars on or anything, but... I did get a glance, and hey, that's that's a pretty good buck, pretty good antlers. Um, <clears throat> and I figured he'd eventually come toward the does. And after about 10, 15 minutes, he did. He started walking my way. And I thought he was going to walk right down this two-track about 25 yards and have a perfect shot on my left-hand side. And he starts angling behind me and kind of away from me toward this field. <clears throat> and he's right behind me. So... I'm trying to look and see where he's going, and I can't see him. And I realize he's walking right toward the tree. So I, I'm facing, you know, the other way, trying to figure out if he's coming left or right side of the tree. And I knew he was when I'd shoot over there, probably a three-and-a-half-year-old deer. And I finally realized he's coming on my right, and he's, like, right really close, like 10 yards. And so I just started slowly turning, you know, my whole body <clears throat> to get ready, you know, for the shot. 
and pretty open in there. Um, and I'm turning, getting the last turn. And I'm putting tension on the string because, like, one more step, and here's my shot at 10 yards, right? And now being used to the stand, right, I get this one last little turn in, and I'm, I'm pulling, I mean, I'm putting tension. And my bow hits the huge handlebars on my dad's stand. It makes this ting noise, right? Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, like... 10 yards away, and he immediately just looked right at me. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this was a perfect night. This was a chip shot, and uh, this just got ruined because of that. <laughs> um, and he's just staring at me. And we're just staring at each other for, you know, like 10 seconds. And <clears throat> I knew, I guess I'm experienced enough to know, that he would either turn his head and stomp a little bit and look back, and I'd be able to draw and shoot. Or he would just bolt, but maybe stop, and I could shoot. So that that's what I, the only plan I had. If, if whatever he does next, I'm drawing and maybe shooting if he gives me a shot. And so after staring at each other, <laughs> he finally just bolts. He takes two big bounds. I draw. He comes to like a slowing stop and like turns to look, and that was my shot. And he's about 25 yards. And it literally happened in, like, two seconds. He bolts, I draw, he slows down, I shoot. And went right through him. Uh, perfect double-long shot. He went, like, 50 yards, stood there, you know, looking around, started wobbling, and tipped over. Nice. And so, yeah, like, so it was almost a totally screwed-up hunt because – my dad didn't use the product that I make, right? <laughs> um, his yeah, and for him, he's like, well, I don't need it. You know, I he uses a crossbow now. He's a little older, you know, and he can't draw a bow anymore. So, you know, it works fine for him. He's like, I'm not banging it. But it was, like, totally in the way for a bow, compound bow, right? And I wasn't used to it. But so, yeah, there's no silencing on it, you know, and <clears> – <throat> That could have totally screwed with that hunt. But luckily, he still gave me an opportunity, you know, uh, and it, it got – I got it done. You know, he, he went down in sight. There was no tracking at all. I, I just looked at him in my binoculars. I was like, okay, he's down. And I just immediately got down and <clears throat> walked out and called my dad, and he came over, and we, uh, he brought the gator or the mule over, and we just drove back and grabbed him. So – Really, it was one of the easiest hunts I've had in a long time. <laughs> there was no, there was no drag. That I didn't do a ton of work with it. <laughs> um, it was kind of like just a, hey, here's here's a here's a gift type thing. Yeah. Um, and my dad did the work though. My dad did the work, and uh, but you know, case in point, like just that one little stupid thing that cling at the wrong time and then that hunt easily and probably should have been totally blown right yeah uh, yeah you, so, yeah you you played it right with you know knowing how the deer should react that deer didn't have to stop though and uh so yeah you that definitely <laughs> helped but um how long until you get some buck bumper on that tree stand is it already out well there? <laughs> yeah well my dad has some um so we'll see. I might 
if I'm over there next time, I might sneak it in there and put it on. But, um, yeah, it, the buck, yeah, easily could have been taken three bounds, and he would have been in the brush, right, when it took two. Uh, so everything had to work perfectly, and it did, you know. Uh, but that happens a lot of times, like for, I guess, a, a side lesson. Guys, that if you get busted like that, you can get a shot off uh, because a lot of times that's what they'll do. And that's actually exactly what happened yesterday when I shot my second buck. And we can get into that story later. But, um, but yeah, it could have easily been a totally ruined hunt, never seen that buck again, right? Yep. He totally knows where the stand is now, and he's not going to come near it, right? Uh, so that was very fortunate that he acted predictably, stopped at the right spot. I got the shot off, right? And the mistake was, of you know, avoided. But uh, if there were some buck bumper on there, uh, silencing wrap, you know, he wouldn't even hurt and I'd had a 10-yard shot, right? So. Right. And, and what what – was that deer? Well, it was an eight point, or what was he? It was a nine point. Nine point, um, nice. Congrats, man. I, yeah, congrats, number one. Yeah, thank you. He and for that woods, I didn't think that was the that's the biggest deer we shot over there in at least ten years. Cool, very cool. So it was a three and a half year old deer, nice deer. You know, they're bigger out there, but for that area, real nice buck. And my dad was super happy. You know, so. It was just a cool experience, and again, I hadn't hunted there in five years, so it was nice to just uh, share that, you know, with with my dad. Oh, Very cool. Yeah, that's the best part. I mean, honestly, I case in point, I got my dad out to hunt my property with me this weekend. He's the first time he's ever hunted it, and um, he had a really good time as well as did I. And yeah, like like you said, you know, there's not that many years left. Uh, where you can spend them with your dad hunting out there, so every chance you get, you gotta live it up and, uh, and right. have a good time. So that's that's pretty cool. And congrats on that buck. I know. Um, I know I haven't had that success yet this year, Brian. I, before we keep moving on, I want to hear how your season's going too, um, over there in the Ohio and Pennsylvania hills. Yeah, man, life is good. Doing a uh, straight thirty-seven days of hunting. Oh, no work. Yeah. I love it. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I filled a doe tag early in, in PA. Uh, got some meat in the freezer and um, just grinding it out. I mean, things started to get really good here last week. You know, typical rut behavior. You know, the little ones are starting to show up at daylight and starting to see more bigger bucks on camera. But then all of a sudden, right before the weekend, this warm weather moved in and kind of put a halt on everything. Yeah. And and when are you leaving for your Kansas and Wyoming hunts? Because you're, you're hunting Pennsylvania and Ohio so far, but soon right. you're going to be hitting the road, right? Yeah, I think Friday we're going to be leaving the 14th. Um, going to spend uh, – we got a week booked out there, but – this group of guys, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, they've gone out the last few years, and I don't think anybody's gone past day two without tagging out. But, Jeez. you know, I, I have a I have a way of bringing my special <laughs> abilities out there and avoiding every deer in the area. So we'll see what happens. But life's good. Like I said, I'm pumped, man. Just 
just enjoying the, the blessings that God's given me to have this much time off and the ability and the health and the means to do this. So I'm just I'm just riding the wave, man, looking forward to the next adventure. Heck yeah. No, that's a that's a good attitude to have. Um you gotta you gotta send me a text like once a day saying that exact same thing so I can I can uh keep my head up and stop uh stop worrying so darn much, you know. I love it. Yeah, man, enjoy it. This is this is our time of year that we live for. It's not gonna be around for another year, so I know it gets frustrating, Good but point. soak it in, man. Soak it in. Yeah, yeah, we've uh no, I I appreciate that. We've um I haven't told you yet, I don't think. Um we've had some interesting stuff happening over at the fifteen. Uh I hunted last week um midweek in the morning and then the week before that it was a Saturday morning. I heard rifle shots both mornings at oh, wow. daybreak in the first hour. Um one or three shots to the north and then two shots to the south. Uh two different hunts and then my neighbor who I, I'm in very close contact with a lot out there. We share pictures, all that good stuff. Um He's a good dude. He heard three rifle shots in between those two hunts. So we found a dead spike on the edge of the road by my property. I don't know if it was a car or a, or a rifle or what's going on out there. But we got the DNR out there now um, listening and, and hanging around. So it's just been uh, – doesn't feel like it's like I've had the, the success that, that I that – I, I guess think or have had the past couple of years at least with seeing deer even, seeing good bucks moving or nice two-year-olds moving or, or whatever. So uh, I'm uh, I'm going to stop my whining now, but it's I'm hoping something <laughs> kicks off r- real soon because I could use a change of a scenery in terms of rack bucks. What I'm seeing have all been real small or, or nothing at all, five-hour sits with nothing. So, yeah, hopefully something can, can change, but um, – you have so a good perspective there, there. You have a good perspective. I like it. Is there anything that's uh, open that you can shoot with a rifle that someone might be doing, coyotes or anything like that? I guess you could probably shoot a yote um, whenever you want, but I uh, I mean, it could be. You, you never know. You could be shooting coyotes everywhere. I, I mean, have you had, have you had it, trouble in the past with poaching over in that area? Or? Not that I know of. Um I don't have very many issues, period. Everybody's pretty good. We're all in a cooperative for the most part, you know, and it's just, it's interesting. There's one guy who hunts to the south of me. He's disabled, so I know he can he can hunt right out of his, I think he hunts right out of his house. Um, okay. But I still don't think you can shoot rifles during both season in Michigan, no matter what disability you may have. Gotcha. Um and I know the DNR, he went over there and confronted him on it because we told him about it, and uh, he denied everything. So yeah. there's some there's some stuff going on. It just uh, kind of adds to the pot boiling over right now of warm weather and, and lack sure. of deer sightings. But hopefully this will change with this cold front coming. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to get some more success like our like our guest here. Adam, You uh, when did you shoot that? Ohio buck was that um a week and a half ago two weeks ago that was uh November 1st so that would have been last last Sunday from this recording yeah was there um 
Was there anything significant about that story that you that you made happen that we can kind of learn from um, regarding that? And and I know there will be for your third buck, but yeah. So a little backstory. So I usually go down in late June, early July. It's the first time I put out trail cameras, salt uh, licks, stuff. Uh, and just make sure my stands that I have down there are, you know, set. And then I'll go back <clears throat> mid-August to just get pictures, you know, reset stuff for uh, the fall. And I only go down probably two or three times a year uh, is what I can do for a short weekend. So I'm all about gathering intel and then just hunting what the intel tells me, right? So in August... I go back the second time, mid-August, check trail cameras, and I have two properties, uh, private permission, which is awesome. The one place I stay at their house. Like, wow. I'm, basically, I'm basically family uh, to them now. And how um, how did you find these places? Knocking on doors or what? Yeah. Yeah. Literally cold calling and knocking on hundreds of doors. and That's awesome. Yeah, so now it's probably about eight years ago or so. And so I stay there, but one of the cameras, like, literally 150 yards from their house, and they have about 100 acres or so. It was in this bottom. And I get daylight pictures, multiple daylight pictures over multiple days of this huge 16-point. And usually on this property, there's one or two, maybe 140s that – come through, but they're not, like, there all the time, right? So this was an exceptional deer, and he was, like, in daylight, like, right by their house. And I got the feeling that he had moved in there, and, like, that was his home. Because um, it was late enough in the summer that they kind of migrated away from the hay fields. And I was like, wow, not only is this a huge buck, but this might be a killable deer. Um and so I, I kind of made plans that the opening weekend I'd be back and I would hunt him for sure, or try to. <clears throat> so I go back in opener, which was September, late September, and I have, I think, four or five cameras around the property, and I kind of moved them once I saw he was there to to try to pick up any movement in or out of this valley he was in uh, to see his movements and see where he was moving and stuff. And... Literally, I got him on zero cameras. I had one cell camera there on this hill nearby with a feeder. Zero pictures on any camera, and the one he had been showing on, it malfunctioned and didn't take any pictures. So I had zero intel from, I think the last picture of him was like August 3rd, until, you know, when it went in late September. So I had zero knowledge as if he was still there or anything. So I hunted that area a couple of times, didn't see him, didn't see any signs of what I thought could be him, you know, big tracks or rubs showing up. <laughs> and uh, so I reset my cameras and I uh, planned on being back, you know, Halloween weekend. And so that's when I go back, is Halloween weekend. And I need I need to invest in some better cameras, we'll just say that. So um, two of the cameras failed, but the one where he had been showing up did work, but he wasn't on it, and so I had no clue if he was on the property or not, 
Uh, and so at this point, I'm just thinking, you know, my standard down there is a four-year-old, you know, uh, 140 or maybe mid-130s I'd shoot, right? I mean, I'm a mature buck. Uh, I, I'm not – I don't have time, <clears throat> you know, to wait out a 180 or something that I'm never going to see probably. Um, and it's – for me, and I think this is something for guys to think about, is what is killable on your property that you hunt? Um, if it's a huge buck that's never showing in daylight, that's not a killable deer. Right. Um, and if it's deer that are not even showing up, you know, if you only get deer up to 120 inches on your property, uh, you're not going to shoot a 150, you know, if they're not there. So it's about <clears throat> being realistic to what you got. Um, and at that point, you know, I, I go down Halloween weekend, I, it wasn't realistic from what I knew intel-wise intel that I could shoot him because I didn't even know he was there. You were um, just counting on, like, the time of year and the, maybe some weather coming in and just being like, hey, yeah. it's going to kick off any moment here. Right. I mean, in, I have to put in time, you know, because I'm a teacher, so I can only get, like, a day tacked onto a weekend. And so I put in time for, like, that weekend and maybe, you know, the next weekend or something like that in early November. And, like, that's my – that's when I go to hunt. And so I've got to get it done in a couple weekends. And so those are historically good weekends. Um, so you can't you can't pull a substitute for a full week if you ever um, wanted to? No. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, it, it makes it – like, you have to be – It makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I had just a three-day weekend – but it was perfect weather, and Brian, you probably know this, that uh, Friday it rained, uh, but it stopped like right before daylight, and then it got cold. I mean, it yeah. was this cold snap, and the deer, it just turned on. Like, I I had, I see a lot of deer movement down there, but this was a lot. I was seeing, you know, five to eight bucks every time out, um, <clears throat> and I have two properties I'm hunting, but... I'm passing up five or six 120s, you know, inch deer. The three-year-olds were on their feet like crazy. You know, I'm grunting them in and stuff, and I'm passing all these bucks. <clears throat> They're just, I didn't see any four-year-olds, right? But the deer were moving like crazy. And so <clears throat> I hunt Friday morning, Friday night. I have an encounter with a big eight-point that busted me because <laughs> I was setting up, and he just walked right up to me. Uh and snorted and ran off this huge wide eight point that I probably would have shot. Glad I didn't. But <clears throat> so I'm having encounters like crazy. But see, Saturday night I hunt this mock scrape I made in this thick cover, and I see I think six bucks, a couple three year olds, one is pushing one thirty, ten point, um, and. About a half an hour before dark, behind me in this valley, I hear this chasing going on and this just deep grunting and this buck down there just shredding trees. And I'm like, that is a big deer, but I could not see him. He was like behind this, there was this oak tree in the perfect spot for me not to see him, and it was just had leaves in it still. And I saw this doe pop out, <coughs> and this eight point that, um, was right in front of me, like 10 yards in front of me. This three-year-old eight-point goes down there, and I'm like, okay, they're going to fight. 
and hopefully this buck will pop out and I'll at least see him. But they didn't fight. And a minute goes by, and he pops out, and this eight-point pushes the doe off. I was like, well, that's weird. And I, I, I didn't hear any more of that big buck, whatever it was, that was over there. And so I sneak out when it gets dark, and just 100 yards up the hill a ways, I have another stand, and there were some scrapes there, and I'd moved my cell camera there the day before. And I get back to the house, and I check my cell cam pics, and, like, right at dark, I see this image of this buck. And I'm like, wait a second. And I zoom in, because he's a ways away. I zoom in. I'm like, that's a lot of times. And I'm like, that's the 16 point. And I'm certain it was him down there on that doe. So now I have actual intel that he's alive, and he's in the area, and he was active in daylight. Which, to me, it's that's huge. a key. Yeah, yeah like if if you can get just like the first bug in Michigan, daylight pictures or daylight observations of some sort. Okay, that's a killable deer. If you get in there in that time frame, you know, the next day or so, you have a real good chance of killing that deer. So yeah, because their pattern could change the next day or the day after, right? Like right. Normally, yeah. you're always behind. With trail cameras, um, you're seeing what happened last week for the most part, except for the new cell cameras and whatnot. But, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. Right. So I decided the next morning to go up near that camera. I was standing about 35 yards away from it and hunt there. So I sneak in. Um, long story short, I had a few little bucks come in, and then I see this buck about 100 yards away, and he's going away from me, kind of parallel, but away off the property, and I'm like, that's him. And so I throw some grunts at him, and he, you know, stops. He turns and starts walking, and he gets in about 50 yards and kind of hangs up. And I'm trying to fumble and range him, and I'm like, okay, this is not going to be a good shot. Uh, i got to grunt him in closer. So I grunt again, and he turns, and he just starts coming. And he comes, you know, 35 yards, I draw and he's really sharp toward me, and but each step he's just kind of opening up a little, a little more. And about 25 yards, I was like, he's he's open enough. And so I shoot. He runs off, and it's pretty open where I was. He runs off over this hill and down toward the ravine where I'd heard him the night before, and where I think he was living the whole time. And he just disappears. You know, I, I lose sight of him. And so. <clears throat> Uh, long story short, I get down, the arrow stuck in him for a while. I found it 50 yards up the way. I find blood, but the arrow's got uh, stomach matter on it. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, it looked like a pretty good shot. <clears throat> and it was on-off raining that morning. So I'm like, okay, this is not good, uh, but I've got to back out. So I take the long way around back to the house. And I decided to give him six hours, and then I would go in and peek over that hill, look down the ravine, and if I didn't see him, I would give him to the next day. I just didn't want to jump him if he's just laying down. Uh, so I get in there six hours later, and I peek over the ravine, and I, I saw something in the field take off, something black. I, I couldn't tell what it was. 
And I looked down, and there are three buzzards down there. And I was like, that's got to be my deer. And so I, you know, kind of jogged down the hill, chased them off, and he, he was laying there. He was dead within 30 seconds. Um, oh, nice. The and the buzzards got on that fast? Wow. Yeah, it, 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 the exit hit his stomach, and so they could smell that, I guess. Okay. And it must have been right there, which is kind of crazy. Like, I, I was worried about maybe coyotes, you know. Um, never thought about buzzards. But they were on him, and they got his left eye was totally gone. <laughs> um, and they got part of his rump out, too. What? Wow. Like, yeah, not not a ton. But, yeah, they were they were getting after him. Uh, but there he was. So <clears throat> Nice. Just, uh, you know, it went from – yeah, I mean, my biggest buck ever, just a brute 16-point, you know. And But to me, that hunt was, and really all mine this year, is you got fresh intel, you have a killable deer, <clears throat> like you got to go with that intel. Yeah. And if I wouldn't have had it for him, I wasn't going to hunt a ghost. I would hunt my other property or wherever was showing a deer that I would be okay with and, you know, would meet my criteria that was killable and hunt that. Um, so you're saying if you don't have intel of something killable showing up in daylight, you don't waste your time there? I try not to. Now, back home, like, I'm not going to just not hunt on a fall right. night. <laughs> well, especially but, like Halloween weekend or something. You don't know when something could happen. Correct. But your best odds in – you start talking to these guys that kill a lot of big deer consistently. They have it, it's very specific and they're very uh, uh, disciplined, you know, in their approach. They stay out until they know it's the right time, or they have information that tells them a certain deer is killable, and then they go in and your first sit is the best sit, right? Um, and they go and kill. Absolutely. And so. That, especially in Ohio, when I have so little time, like, that's what I have to do. Uh, yeah. I use my trail cameras. I'll I'll go check them at night. Like, I get there on a 10 o'clock at night. I'll go check, pull the cards, swap cards, you know, refresh the salt licks or if I got some feed out or something. Uh, I'll do that in the middle of the night because I want intel to tell me where to hunt the next morning because I only have four hunts that weekend, you know. Right. Uh, no, so you brought up a couple go. good points there um, that we that we talk about all the time on here. The the power of the first sit. Um, almost every one of our game plan episodes this year has been most recent intel on those cameras, one way or another. And uh, you you bring up a very good point there. And um, yeah, I just I just think uh, if you can at least get out there and be monitoring and scouting, whether you're scouting with cameras or yourself enough to work instead of just, you know, playing the lottery, obviously it's way right. more advantageous. Yeah. I've got a, a whole blog on uh, an article about, I call it the hotspot continuum and they can check that out on the Soundberry blog. But basically, yeah, I, I broke it down to this five levels of, you know, when to hunt and when not to. And four and five on it are when you should be hunting, and one through three are basically you just need to scout more, you know. And that yep. could be a scout hunt 
you know, where you're observing on sand. Um, but the highest odds ones are the towards the end where you either <clears throat> have scouting intel that tells you the area is hot and a big buck's using it or a deer you'd shoot, uh, or you have physically observed uh, with your eyes or with trail cams or something that the deer you want to shoot is daylight and is there. And yep. that's, you know, that's what I try to go for. So, <clears throat> so Adam, with these um, 60 spots I think you said you had, where do you start with how you're going to break that down into where, where you're going to concentrate? Because I'm assuming you're not running 60 cameras. Right? No, I, I, I had, I think, 13 or 14 cameras only this year. You know, so I don't have a lot. This summer I rotated them a lot in public just to kind of see where deer were even though I know from the summer that'll change, like some of the bucks will stick around in certain areas. Um, so for me, it's <clears throat> some of it's history. I know certain spots, certain times of year are usually good. Right. Um, but it's, I tried to categorize them by, you know, first of all, wind type, uh, looking at funnels and for example, like funnels from feed to doe bedding, uh, I tried to save those for late October, right? So catch, catching a buck, cruising uh, by those bedding areas or following a doe from the fields at night to that doe bedding and, you know, sneaking in there from the back door type thing uh, and just categorizing by times of year. So early fall, it's about where's the best food right then. Uh, in a public land, especially like right by bedding somewhere, as fall progresses, you know, you're getting uh, more strategic with, okay, they're pressured, so where are they going to go um, because of that and still have food? And then, you know, you get pre-rut and rut, you know, where's the doe bedding that's uh, hard to access or overlooked by other guys and trying to key in on that. So I try to separate them out by times of year, you know, and when I believe or know they'll be good or better. And by wind, you know, like when I can and cannot hunt this spot or when it's best to hunt this spot. And then, but then you always got the, the outliers, especially in public, are the uncontrollables like hunting pressure, you know, where are the other guys actually going to be that year. Um, you know, neighboring food, the fields and stuff that, may or may not change from year to year as far as crops um, and just stuff like that, just things that you – and just current hot sign. Like reading that <coughs> on the ground and kind of going on the fly. So that can totally get thrown out the door, but that's, I guess, kind of how I uh, try to categorize that stuff and sure. make decisions. And this year, you know, it didn't work out, but um, I had some really good spots and good hunts that just that could have, but there just weren't a deer I sh would shoot there at that time. Yeah. Well, I think it worked out for you, all right. <laughs> yeah, it, it really did. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. Uh, so, Adam, moving 
keep it moving here. We got two or three. Well, first of all, what, did you did you score your deer or what did that buck score in Ohio? Any idea? Yeah, I scored it. So it, it's probably within a few inches, you know. I mean, sure, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm, but you'd have to be pretty bad to not be within a few inches. Um, right. He was 158. Nice, man. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Great. Yeah. Year. I was jacked for you. Congrats. Me that. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. No, it it was it was pretty crazy. I mean, I was I've been on a high ever since, you know. And I, yeah, thank you. It, you know, people say a buck of a lifetime, which it might be, but I still, I still want to try to shoot bigger. But reality yeah. is, what will uh, you know? Bucks like that aren't aren't around every tree. So, um, yeah, it was you know a pretty, yeah, pretty he's, awesome he's a experience. He's a stud. No, congrats again. I know, uh, I know, I was super happy for you when you shot that one, and then. It doesn't stop there. Then you keep sending me dead deer pictures. <laughs> then I get another. I get another freaking text this week. Another slammer. I'm like, holy cow! It's amazing. Yeah, at some point, at some point, I'm like, okay, is this? You know, are, are people gonna start hating me? No. Am I, no. Am I gonna lose lose friends because I'm sending them bug pictures? And but <laughs> yeah. Um. So. So not like, here. You'll never lose us. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be jealous all day long, but you'll never lose a friend for sure. No, it's uh, yeah. you, you. Put your work in, man. Think about sixty spots to have scouted out. Um, that's that's a lot. That is preparation. Yeah, it's it's not just hoping and praying that a buck walks by type thing at all. Um, it's 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 admirable to. To have 60, 60 spots that you scouted out, that's that's awesome. Um, and and the thing with it is, you know, like this year, those spots didn't come through for me, you know, but I have those spots now. Like that is future, and some people don't see that that you're preparing for maybe five years from now that will come in and benefit you, even if it didn't this year. Uh, just like in Ohio, like I I put in work over down there over years. And learn spots, and you gather, you know, you gather a history, you get intel, you see patterns over years, and so the first couple of years, maybe that didn't pay off so much for me, but you know, eight years down the road, it does, and that's another thing to think about. <laughs> like, don't even with your 15 acres, you know, don't get discouraged with, you know, the moment, you know, it builds over years, you know, this property management and yep. knowledge you learn about how deer use a property and all and how to best hunt it and all this stuff is cumulative even if it doesn't pay off like for sure this year or this moment you know so yeah yeah no uh, it's good to it's good to keep that perspective um yeah this is a good podcast on perspective just attitude and 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 like you said all this work doesn't go away each year you know more and more and more about your property that you're hunting and um i mean even so even so i mean rolling rolling forward to your next hunt you know you've this this next hunt is a very unique compared to the other two right like very small property um you did some food plotting and some screening and so tell us a little bit about that i think the listeners would really enjoy 
hearing about this too because it's literally something we all do every day. We we try to do the, the same thing you just did. Right. Yeah. So I last uh, year ago spring. So I've been here a year and a half. I bought a house in uh, the Chesney area, Mid Michigan. Farm ag around right, but there's you know houses, and I own six and a half acres. And it's it's not a rectangle shape; it's L shaped. So it's there are houses closer than there would be if it were like a you know rectangle. Uh, but about half of it is like just some thick uh, goldenrod, brushy stuff. You know, it's good deer habitat, but it's a hundred yards from my house and other houses, right? Uh, so it's it's not ideal in that regard. But behind it, the guy owns 40 acres, and his ideal whitetail habitat just more thick goldenrod, tangles, briars, a little wood lot, and there's fields around it, and he doesn't hunt it at all. So it's like a, a sanctuary behind me. And <clears throat> so I put in last year, I put in a little food plot. It's like maybe... 60 yards wide by 35, you know, it's not huge, but I can get, you know, some, it's a decent little food plot, and I, I worked, and actually, this year I had to plant it three times, uh, <laughs> because the first time, it, I mean, I had this awesome food plot plant, and then it flooded for two weeks and killed everything, mm-hmm. um, but the Egyptian wheat I had around the rim, so I, I put some of that in for you know, a screen cover, that actually came up. And I planted it with clover and alfalfa and that. We had a drought in the middle of summer, so that really didn't amount to anything. <clears throat> and I finally planted some oats and turnips, and they, they actually came up. So, but I did a lot of work with screening around the outside just to give them a pocket, like just this little pocket on my property that hopefully they would uh, come in, you know, the right time of year, check out the food plot, hopefully get some mock scrapes going to entice a buck in there. Like, and, and that's the only spot I can hunt it. So it's super small property. It's really dependent on the deer coming off someone else's, right, uh, in daylight. <clears throat> so, and it's 100 yards behind my house. So I have a trail cam back there. The food plot starts coming in good finally. And... Um, I put up some mock scrapes, you know, and they don't really touch them uh, till late October. And I finally, one of them, I get a picture of a couple little bucks that just start hitting it. So I'm like, okay, that's good. Uh, I see some does at night, but nothing, nothing great. Uh, but last year, late season, or let me back up, early mid-November, I got pictures of three really nice bucks that just wandered through during daytime. So I, I know there's some decent ones in the area. You know, it's just, can I be there at the same time? Because they showed up one time, right? Uh, <clears throat> so I knew there was potential, but I didn't even hunt it because I was getting zero activity, you know, in daylight. So I come back from Ohio and check the camera every few days, you know, and I finally get a picture at midnight uh, like last week of this looks like a really just heavy old deer, this 10 point. I was like, well, that's a good buck. And he hits the scrape, you know, but it's in the middle of the night. I was like, okay, well, I'll keep an eye on it. And 
So this, this past Saturday morning, I decided to go out to the state land near me because there's a spot where there's this, I found one of my spots on my list, right? This just super thick bedding area, and I found this just massive rub in mid-October. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go in there early and get a morning sit and just see, you know, it's November, maybe some bucks are chasing in this bedding area. <clears throat> well, I come back, and I don't have any luck. I come back and check the camera, and I see that that 10-point had been in the food plot at daylight that morning. I was like, okay. <clears throat> so there's my intel. Wow. Right? And, and how big was this plot? I'm sorry if I missed it. How big total would you say in acreage? It is like a quarter acre. I don't know. Okay. Uh, it's like 60 yards wide by 35. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not huge, but big enough, you know, and they were hitting that scrape. And uh, there definitely been deer in there, right? Does and a few bucks in this. Now, this 10 point is daylight. Uh, right at, you know, right at daylight in the morning. So I just low ground blind, tucked in there. Been there since September. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go out Sunday morning before church, and I'm just going to sit. And maybe he'll show up twice, you know, in a row. I didn't really think he would, you know, but my actual goal was, okay, I'm going to hunt this every night. I'm going to have my dad come over here a couple mornings and until gun season, and maybe we'll see him, right? So <clears throat> I get in there, you know, like 6 o'clock, and I'm just sitting, you know, it's a quick walk, uh, quietly get in there. And right about <laughs> first light, <clears throat> I start hearing something back to my left. And it's, you know, just like goldenrod stuff. And I only have the front two windows open, so I can't see over there at all. But it's like right by the blind. And I'm like, there's some rodent out here. I got tons of possums and stuff. I'm like, there's some rodent right here, you know. And he starts getting closer, and I'm like, is this thing going to crawl on the blind? Uh, he's just super close. He's like two yards from the blind. And I hear it just making noise for like five minutes. I'm just listening to it. He's making his way toward the food plot, and he gets close to my first window on my left, and I'm like, well, maybe this is a deer. Um, and then I got some Egyptian wheat there, and then all of a sudden I see these antlers in the Egyptian wheat, literally two yards from the blind. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's him. And he just, like, just slowly walks out right in front, five yards in front of me. And he's, I'm guessing he's at least a, he's a good five-year-old buck. This huge buck is five yards in front of me, broadside. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I snap on my release, and I'm thinking, I, I can't shoot him here. He's way too close. He'll see me. And he's just standing there, you know, uh, taking a nibble. And then he – and I've never had a buck that close that big. I mean, it, it was quite a experience. <laughs> and then he turns up – yeah, and then he turns and just looks in the blind, and I'm just staring at him, you know, five yards, eye to eye. And I'm thinking that he's looking straight through me. Like, he's just looking, and then he's going to go about his business, and he'll walk a ways away, and I'll get a shot, right? <laughs> but he's just staring at me, and I'm staring at him. And he didn't stomp or nothing. He didn't show any signs, but he just all of a sudden snorted and just bolted. And so... The same thing they have in my first buck. So I draw, right? And he takes two bounds and stops out there broadside and looks back at me. 
And so I just, okay, anchor, all right, there we go, and I shoot. And he takes off. And I could tell it was a good hit, but he went, took off, and I went over to the neighbors, right, because it's, like, right there. And I was like, couldn't believe that just happened. And um, long story short, you know, I back off for a little bit. I call my dad, hey, you want to help me track this? I shot him. Uh, followed blood. I found the arrow. It's covered in blood. <laughs> but, you know, I get over to the neighbors, like, not even 40 yards, and I'm already getting down to a trickle of blood. Like, it's hardly any blood. I was like, okay, this is not good. The neighbor comes out. <clears throat> this is about 45 minutes later. And I could tell the trailer went down, right? But we track him about 50 yards into his piece, and it's down to, like, no blood. And so I just had to back out. <laughs> My dad gets there. We go in and like, well, let's just start grid searching it, you know, and keep our eyes open. Hopefully we don't jump them. And we just start grid searching this big bedding area of goldenrod and briars and stuff. And we're going all over. And 45 minutes later, I, I'm thinking, gosh, the arrow went through him. It wasn't a high, you know, back hit. How am I not, how's this deer not dead? Uh, but deer are deer, you know, they're, a lot of them live on good hits sometimes. Yep. And it, so I'm about 45 minutes of this, I'm like thinking, oh, this deer, I didn't make as good a shot as I thought. This deer's getting away. And I circle back to the last blood and I'm, I'm looking toward that where I thought <coughs> that was. I was like, oh, my dad must have left a backpack or something here. You know, I saw something. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's too big for a backpack. And I get over there, look closer. I'm like, oh, it just has antlers on it. <laughs> and he was <laughs> this was literally 20 yards from last blood. I don't know how we didn't see him, you know. Wow. He was laying right there. He only went maybe 100 yards uh, nice. total. And where did yeah, you, yeah, you hit him? It was like uh, – it was a little more quartered than I thought toward me, so I hit him, like, back lungs. Gotcha. Back, back lungs, liver. Yeah. So it was, it was a good hit. Uh, it came out toward the back on the, you know, opposite side, but it was a good. Yeah. Obviously, he was, smoked him. Yeah, he was done in 30 seconds, and he, he must have gone straight down that trail and then stumbled over 20 or 30 yards, you know, perpendicular, and that's where we got off track. So. Gotcha. So anyways, yeah, I mean, just a, a pig of a deer, and, you know, I put a lot of work in my backyard plot, but I did not expect, realistically, you know, am I going to shoot a, a real nice buck in my backyard? Mm, probably not, but, again, it was, hey, you know, I've got it here. If I've got options, right, if something shows up, I can sneak in and hunt, and it just... Again, came together perfect. You know, it could have easily he never show up again. But you know, staying out and not hunting it, and then you know when I got the intel, went in and it, it came together. So you know, again, a blessing, right? I, I can't say it's me, but there's those factors that also went into it. So well, yeah, you did a lot of work too. I mean, you plan the food, you put the mock scrapes out, you had the does coming in, you had intel, you know, as you stayed out, we talk about all this stuff all the time and it, it just added up. It's a perfect mix. And you were there to capitalize when 
when he was there, which was huge. Right, and so yeah, it, it all came together perfect. And I mean, I didn't score him yet. I'm gonna grab him uh, from the processor here in a couple of days and score him. But that's the second biggest, I think, walk up shot in Michigan, and this is my 29th year hunting. So uh, <laughs> very cool. Wow. Yeah, super excited. You know. Buddy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Heck of a so, season so far. Yeah, it's not yeah. even close to over yet. I mean, it's over in Michigan and Ohio for you. But, but yeah, a heck of a season. What are you uh, What are you going to do with yourself? Are you going to take up sewing or something? Or what are you thinking? Yeah, I was thinking crochet. <laughs> crochet. <laughs> yeah. I'll make you guys some uh, some turtlenecks or something. Or that some, would be nice. Thank some you. Some <laughs> Camouflage. Um. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I took off the the Monday of gun season, right, planning on going up north to a buddy's in Halton Lake. But now, I mean, I'll take my gun because I have a doe tag up there, but I'm just going to maybe videotape one of the guys or something. I don't know. Uh, it's a, it's an awesome feeling, but it's like, man, <laughs> yep, you know, done. I'm done. Yeah. I can always jump over to Indiana, get on some public. Um Make it make it buck number four. Good, good. I'll uh, I'll have to find a place to to uh, take the meat though. Find yeah. some people. So yeah, no, that's oh, cool, yeah. Man. What a season. <laughs> yeah, it, incredible season, and you know, again, uh, blessed by a lot of people too. I say that like my my dad who put in some work, and I benefited from that. The landowner in Ohio that, uh, you know, he literally, so it's an old couple, but their son kind of lives there and, you know, runs the place now, who kept, didn't let any other hunters in there. So literally, I mean, that's a pretty sweet situation that, you know, if I wouldn't have shot something, that's almost like, man, you're, you're a terrible hunter. Um Perfect situation, great property, and, you know, so there's other people, too, that really helped out, you know, and so I'm just thankful for all that, and uh, that I was able to make good shots, you know, and recover the deer, so. Yes, sir. It sounds like your priorities are are in the right spot, and you you realize, uh, you know, the good things that came together for you. That's awesome, man. Congrats on a hell of a season. That's awesome. Wow. Thanks again. Yeah. And I think there's a lot we can take from each one of those kills or the podcast episode in general to uh, just don't get complacent. Keep moving. Keep checking your stuff. Keep hanging new cameras. Keep moving cameras around. Um, you know, season's not over. So it's just you're giving me a little more hope to just, you know, keep grinding. And obviously going to do that no matter what, but keep grinding. And you know, your season can change. And, a day or five minutes or five seconds. So. Yep. Sure, sure can. Well, that's all I have, boys. Brian, do you have anything, any other questions for Adam or anything else you wanted to cover tonight? No, I think we covered everything. There's some really good points that he brought up. I'm glad he uh, touched on everything that he did for our listeners, especially any new hunters out there that might be catching this episode. Adam talked a lot about just learning deer behavior, and that's kind of hard to do without putting seat time in the stand and, and learning yourself. But you can watch as many videos as you can and 
uh, just try to study up as much as you can to to get better at understanding that because that that does make a huge difference. Like Adam said, just just having one bound away and you think, oh, he's taking off. It's the end of the hunt. And then next thing you know, he stops and you're not ready. You're not going to get that second opportunity. So great point on that, Adam, and appreciate you coming on and congrats on a amazing season, buddy. Well, I appreciate it, you guys, and uh, yeah, hang in there, keep grinding, and good luck, and I uh, look forward to hearing uh, your successes, because yeah, this heat stinks, but in a couple of days, it's going to get cold, so I think yep. you, you'll yeah, have it's coming. Some, good, it's coming. some good hunting. For sure. <laughs> yes, sir, and Adam, before we wrap this up, let's remind everybody uh, where they can find your, your company, your product, your blog. People, I don't think... I uh, hear about the blog enough, and that's something I like to talk about when I talk about your stuff because it's a great articles that you spend time writing. And uh, just, I guess, give us a quick rundown of where everybody can find you. Sure. So, soundbarrierhunting.com. Uh, you'll find our uh, equipment wraps there for silencing your gear from uh, your climbing sticks, tree stands, your uh, carabiners, your bow hooks, anything. You know, you can silence it with that tree stands um you find that there and get that also our blog you'll see there which a lot of topics in bow hunting and the one i mentioned about the hotspot continuum if you look that up i talk about some of the stuff we did tonight as far as how to determine when to hunt and when to scout and uh just make decisions on your hunting uh so you can have better success there so and you can sign up for our blog too and <coughs> excuse me receive those I try to put them out every couple weeks. So yeah, soundberryhunting.com, and I think there's a, a code you guys have that can get ten percent off. So uh, yes, sir. Code that, HP, that code right? is uh, HP, and you get ten percent off and free shipping over at soundberryhunting.com. Yep, HP. Well, thanks so much, brother, for coming on. I uh, I wish you luck for the rest of the season. I'm sure you'll have a good time at deer camp nonetheless. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll be here from us soon, too. Yeah, I look forward to it. And thanks for uh, having me on, guys. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal. We can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree, United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery.
Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.